Welcome to the Cashflow Guys Podcast. Welcome to the Cashflow Guys Podcast. It's that time again. You should know where you are, and I hope you know who this is. This is Tyler Chef, and I am the co-host of the Cashflow Guys Podcast. And this week, Mike is with me again. Mike, how you doing, man? You know, I listened to your last podcast, and you said you gave me a break. Yeah. So I can't, I can't take a two weeks of a break. So I had to come back on and break the ice, and uh, now we're back. So that's right. Yeah, it was good. Well, it was one of those breaks where it was a topic I really wanted to talk about. That was good, yeah. That was your topic for sure, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we talk about the realtor stuff. That's usually me more me anyway. Um, but yeah, that worked out That worked out well. You got some extra time off, and now we're back on the microphone. It's a new year. That's exciting. Uh, we got lots of good stuff on tap for this year. Uh, things are moving along well with the fund. And as a reminder, guys, if you want to know what we're up to as far as the fund, you can always go to cashflowguys.com forward slash webinar, catch up with our most recent episode. Uh, this week, guys, we've got a special treat for you. We have a guest by the name of Jim Shields. He's a real estate expert with extensive knowledge in build to rent. Now, I'll be honest with you, that's a, a topic that I know nothing about. So we're going to learn together. I know just enough to be dangerous, as does Mike. So I'm pretty excited about this episode. Um, he's a partner at Southern Impression Homes. It's a company that specializes in building rental portfolios in Florida's high growth markets. That's near and dear to my heart. Even though Mike left us and defected to Colorado, I'm still here in Florida holding down the fort. Mike and I are doing all of our investment properties here in Florida because, hey, it's a great market. Why not? Right. Uh, so we're going to jump in there. Hey, Jimmy, with us? Yeah, I'm here. Thanks for having hey, me. Man. Welcome. Welcome. So, Florida, I got to say, I looked on your website and I see some of your, one of your markets is down there. And I'm going to start right out with that way and down there in Fort Myers. Um, I, Kind of smile when I see that because I know a lot of people when they're talking about doing anything in Fort Myers, they go, "Oh my gosh, they get they get hit with hurricanes every hour." And you should know, I live in Key West, Florida, so yeah. every time the wind blows, people say Key West is gonna get blown off the map. Yet, you know, we have the largest concentration of historic homes in any city in the country. Actually, uh, how did you guys fare during the the whole thing down in Fort Myers with the storms? Uh, very well. And we had hundreds of projects going on. In fact, and this is something I talk about a lot at different events and uh, trainings. We had uh, just almost 300 projects going on, and we had four that we had to claim insurance on. Uh, those wow. four were just freestanding walls. So we hadn't had time to tie on the roof. And, you know, once you tie on the roof, that gives it the strength and integrity sure. against the winds. So they just knocked over. Uh, so it was just over 5,000 damage, but that was out of hundreds of projects. We had no flooding. Uh, and that's something really important. You know, wind does dumb damage, but contrary to what most people think, it's the flooding that damages most for hurricanes. And that is one of the main reasons, Tyler, that we're very excited now to be in new construction. You know, when, when you first, I'm sure you guys remember in high school, you get your driver's license and your parents are going, okay, put on your seatbelt, put on your seatbelt, put on your seatbelt. <laughs> Right when you're leaving, and and then you, you're yeah yeah yeah, but you do, and then all of a sudden you get that first T-bone or that first hit from behind. Right, and you're like, man, I'm glad I had my seatbelt on. That's kind of how we felt when Hurricane Ian came through because we were building in Punta Gorda where the eye went over, Fort Myers where the eye went over, and there is a difference between properties that were built from 2004 and newer in Florida, both in oh, yeah. their up, up to, and I'll talk about that how to withstand hurricanes and also get good insurance. Uh, because of the changes that happened in 2004. So that was a really um, a positive experience for us, actually, because we got put to the test. Bigger than we ever wanted, but we came out very well. Right. You know, I, these days, 
Now, Key West is very different because everything was built in the 1800s in Key West. And the construction construction was very good back then. Everything was hand-built. Technology wasn't what it is today. But, you know, the reason why those houses have still been there since the 1800s is the type of construction they use. They use mortise tennis construction. They use wooden pegs instead of nails. The houses were built to bend and sway with the wind. And exactly what you said is true. For many years in construction, quality went down in, quanti- in, in favor for quantity. Fortunately, this is the one time the government got involved that I'm actually okay with. They've changed the regulations now. New construction has changed drastically from the last time I walked a new construction project as far as to what degree you have to build these properties and secure them so that they do, like you said, withstand storms. One of the things I want to kind of add to what you're saying about investing in areas where weather is an issue, weather is an issue everywhere, no matter where you are. Mike's in Colorado. He's not, he's not safe either. Because that state starts on fire and burns to the ground every couple of years. It does. You, you know, <laughs> you, you pick your poison. But what you're doing is you're building, you serve as the, as the you're the developer, you're building rental properties, single multifamily, small multifamilies, and then selling them to the investors that then hold them for a long-term return. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay. So your sweet spot is generally you're an investor that's looking for that type of asset, which is exactly what Mike and I invest in, single family homes small multifamily homes, not the big institutional apartment buildings and all that. You're doing construction. You're helping them with site selection in some cases. I guess the, the buyer brings their own lot or you you participate in that from an advisory standpoint. Is that accurate? We, we do some build on your own lot. We offer that. Right. But most people are coming to us. You know, I'd say the avatar person is successful in their career or their business. They want to be involved in real estate, but they don't want to be doing all the work themselves. They'd rather sure. plug into something uh, and not being saying, where's the right place to buy? You know, how do I build? How do I find the right financing? How do I find management? We we bring in the how on everything. And that gives them the opportunity to be leveraged into real estate for the longer term growth, but not doing it on their own. I see. One of the things that I hear a lot when it, I hear the word build to rent is, you know, there's a lot of talk about rents are at, a, at an all time high. That's great, right? That's That's fantastic. But at the same time, people are saying, well, construction costs are at an all-time high. How are you guys bridging the gap there? In other words, the cost per square foot to build in, in Florida or wherever you are, just because it's just material costs are through the ceiling, labor costs are through the ceiling, insurance is through the ceiling. What is, how is it that you guys are able to do these and still continue to cash flow? I mean, obviously, they're, they're getting financed. They're probably great deals or they wouldn't be getting banked. Uh, what are your, what's your, your tips as far as that goes? Yeah, well, you know, you bring up Fort Myers, which is was the fastest growing area uh, in the U.S. during mm-hmm. the pandemic. You know the, the the rankings show that, but Fort Myers is not the most popular area. You know when most people think of Florida, and you know this, they're like, "Oh, are you in Miami? Are you in Orlando? Are you in Tampa?" Tampa, right? right. All solid areas, but we look at second tier markets. You know, we look at where there's a better affordability index, where there's growth still happening, and where the rents are in better proportion. You know, you go into those other markets, yeah, you could have equity growth, but you'll probably, you know, if you're only putting 20, 25% down and what we would be doing for you, if we were in those three major markets, they're going to be negative cash flow. But when you go to growth markets, you can get a better buy-in and also get better construction costs and better land costs, which we can then pass on to our investor buyers to get them cash flow right off the bat. I see that, and I'm a realtor as well here in Florida, besides being an investor myself. And one of the things I've seen is that Florida is experiencing an influx, a migration influx that's unprecedented. In other words, 
we have had unbelievable amount of inflow of people moving from all over the country into the state of Florida. You go on uhaul.com or North American Van Lines website, you see the the flow of people that are coming here. And I don't mean immigrants, I mean people moving from other places in the country, selling their homes, maybe for political reasons or tax reasons or whatever, moving to Florida. Uh, to a, to a, I saw on your website that you guys do tenant placement. Do you see a lot of that as the original tenant base when you build these new homes that these are people that are coming in from other states? Or are they migrating locally? No, we definitely see it from the migration, for sure. Um, our, our client buyers are migrating from out of area as well. You know, there's people, you know, for example, in California and in New York State uh, that have sold off properties and then rebought with us because the landlord laws. You know, right. and I tell anyone, whether you come to us in Florida or wherever, the, the United States is very different now from state to state when it comes to landlord laws. And you have to look at that. If you can't collect rents easily, I think you got to put that as a major uh, concern uh, when you're deciding on your investments. So we're getting the goods of both. We're getting client buyers who are buying our rental properties because they're like, the heck with this. Wow, you can evict in 45 days opposed to 14 months. And, you know, yeah. and then. And then in addition, it's the people coming out of other areas that just said, yeah, we like the lifestyle. We like the affordability. Um, they're coming here because they think there was definitely a more positive living environment during some strange times that we just had. And so we are seeing probably you know, a good 50% of that coming from influx. Uh, and the good thing about influx, and you know this being a realtor, we are low on inventory. Oh, yeah. you know, even with us building, when, when the inflationary effect happened, um, and you, you said, how do you keep cash flowing? Well, remember building costs went up and subcontractor costs went up, but you know what else was nice? So did rents and rents it went up did. really nicely in Florida. So with those two going up in unison, that worked well. If you had only had the inflationary effect on supplies and, and, uh, and subcontracting, we would have been in trouble, but the rents, right. went up. you know, you have to look at, you know, what are people wanting and why are they going there? And that's again, why we're in the second tier markets. And I think as far as the Florida market is concerned, Michael, I know you have a question. I'll let you go next. One of the things I see here, and I own rental properties myself here in Florida, demand continues to grow, not just locally, but nationally, as far as there's that migration pattern for me has kept my rents consistently climbing. It's helped us in the short-term rental market. It's helped us in the long-term rental market. Let's be honest, the tax and the political and the weather climates are changing across the country. And that migration is is huge here in Florida, and I could see that continuing to boon our economy. Mike, did you have uh, something you wanted to add? Yeah, Jim. So uh, in our experience, you know, we deal with assisted living facilities, which obviously uh -huh. takes a bit more uh, zoning deviation than I believe a single family uh, rental house would. In your experience now, have you been getting any pushback from local government municipal municipalities about you know zoning, density, permitting, uh, you know, your whole business model? We, we haven't. And I'll tell you why. First of all, we're sticking to residential real estate. So our menu is single family duplexes and quads. And these are, you know, quads can be a little harder to get approved. You know, they can be a little bit of a unicorn because they're pretty close to commercial, but they're not. So those can be a little harder. But the bottom line is what Tyler just hit on, local government has to look at. So let me give you an example. Fort Myers. When we first started going down to Southwest Florida, uh, probably about six years ago, this is well before the pandemic. And at that time, the municipality down there released a, a, a report on housing. And they were saying at, at that time, 
they were three years behind on needed rental inventory to be able to support the influx and, and the tenant pool in that area. Wow. So, so when you think they were that far behind, first of all, you have to meet that demand or you have even bigger problems. So they're going to encourage low density. Also, through the pandemic, uh, low density was a pretty popular term, right? Everyone wasn't wanting to be on top of one another. So when you're in low density, more spread out, you know, a, a duplex is not a single family home, but it's dang close. And a quad, yeah, you're, you're, you're not in a big apartment building. So we had very little pushback. Actually, we got more encouragement frankly, because of the need and the demand that they need someone to meet it. And I can tell you the national home builders, they have zero interest in building duplexes and quads, just no interest. It's not in their Mm -hmm. wheelhouse. They don't think like that. They don't, they don't think of long-term property management or that. It's just, it's not part of their recipe. Interesting. Uh, I hear a lot now about, um, you know, the multifamily sector is hurting compared to the single family. And it's a kind of a big flip-flop of what it was pre-pandemic. So I, I like I like your model. Uh, obviously, people want space now yeah. from what they experienced a few years ago. Uh, another thing they want is uh, the huge term you hear like every day is affordable housing. Uh, I know <laughs> in Colorado. <laughs> yeah, I know Tyler chuckles. I can't uh, help it. <laughs> I know. <laughs> in Colorado, it's a huge buzzword. You hear it like every six minutes out here, it seems. But uh, the local governments have been very positive about build-to-rent communities. However, they put a lot of deed restrictions on them. For example, uh, if you were to rent in a specific build-to-rent community, you have to make less than 85% of AMI, the average median median, uh, income. Hmm. Are you experiencing that in Florida? And I'm curious because when you do the numbers and you're taking people of low income, and of course, if their income increases one year, they're, they can't live there anymore. Are you dealing with that at all? And, and if so, how do you make well, that cash flow? Honestly, that that sounds really surprising to me, Mike. But again, this is we we are one country, but state laws have gotten so different from landlord to building. I haven't faced that at all. Um, it just hasn't been something I've come up with. And and we're also when we build communities, I have not seen any sort of restriction like that or any sort of requirements like that. And we also do a lot of uh, infill lots, spot lots, you know, where it's already existing mm-hmm. neighborhoods and we'll buy up a few hundred lots within a few square miles of an already existing area. Mm-hmm. You know, those don't have any sort of HOA or, or such. They're very established, nice neighborhoods where you and I would live and it's a mixture of homeowners and renters, a good ratio. Uh, but they don't, there's no restrictions there on the initial build and there's no HOA. So we haven't seen anything like this and we're not getting any sort of state subsidy that would um, that would put any controls on us, if that makes sense. It's good to hear there's still markets that are um, restriction-free. Stay away from Key West, by the way, right, Tyler? Well, yeah, I think what the, the benefit that to what the product that you have is that you're sticking with the residential model and you're staying four units and less. The minute you cross over that four-unit mark, then everything gets sticky. Then the governments want to get involved. They start talking about density infrastructure, you know, systems, all these other things. And every time I see a commercial project, any apartment building they're breaking ground for now, that's when they're going to say, oh, you're building 200 units? Well, good. We want 25 of them to be workforce affordable. Yeah. Developers have economies of scale. They can give that away. But if you're building a duplex, there's no room to make one of those affordable. I mean, yeah, I can do that, but we're not going to be able to put a roof on. Um, we can we can go with a circus tent. How about that? You yeah. know? <laughs> well, I mean, it's that two sides, Tyler. It's, it's that side. They're getting hit on the commercial realm 
with those types of restrictions. But right. also, you know, it's no secret about interest rates and financing. You know, I know a right. lot of apartment syndicators when they were doing their numbers, you know, with with their refi amounts after two three years, they're having some unhappy surprises where their well, yeah. refis are coming in two two and a half percent higher than what they had you know done their performance at, and that's, right. that's why we like the residential realm by doing the smaller projects. You know, we've actually developed in house financing. Where you know it's called it. We 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 buy money now. You know, as a builder with a good balance sheet, we can pre-buy mortgage money. And so by pre-buying this mortgage money, you know, you walk in on a duplex or quad right now, you're getting quoted seven and a half, eight percent. Right now, our in-house financing is set at four point seven five. Wow! And that's ten-year fixed, thirty-year AM, and we can get you a thirty-year AM for about five and a quarter. So within a half point of that. But most people are saying no, ten years fine. I could never do that on commercial. This is only right. for individual real estate. So these singles and doubles that our investors are hitting, you know, some of my bigger uh, syndicator buddies are like, God dang, I wish I could get that kind of <laughs> killed on that culture straight. Well, yeah, they definitely, the music stopped and there's no chairs left in the multifamily in the big multifamily space, the commercial multifamily space for sure. And you're right. They, they did these, and I'm not faulting them because they, you know, everybody did it, but they got into these big properties. Hey, we're going to refi out in two, three years. Guess what? Interest rate went to seven, eight percent. Now you can't refi out. The valuations have tanked. Uh, estimates now are saying forty percent drop in, in equity value across the multifamily sector. It's like, good God! I mean, that's unbelievable. Meanwhile, single family, multi, small multifamily, two to four units continues to explode. Um, they have I own extra. It. They have that extra um, exit strategy. Not not necessarily quads, but. You guys know if you own a duplex or a single family home, you don't have to sell that to another investor. You can no. easily sell that to an end buyer who's going to personally use it. And that personal use, I think, is what really always holds the residential market a little stronger and has a better safety net than commercial. Right. One of the strategies that we implement along with our assisted living is independent living. Basically, folks that are 55 and up that maybe need a little extra help, but they don't need a nursemaid. In other words, they like to have a, a meal, two or three meals made a week, the place clean for them, uh, maybe a nurse to check in on their, med- a CNA to check in on their medications. And we're getting ready to do a project where we've got a, taken a four unit building and we're going to be changing that to a, uh, uh, to a um, independent living. We're looking at that as a business model right now. So what you're doing falls in line perfect because there, here's a 55 and a community that wants a better a better mousetrap. They want a better property. You're not going to take some rundown duplex or triplex and try to put somebody in there and make them happy. These are above average income earners that are in an advanced stage of life. They're not broken down and decrepit, but they like to be in a small type community. So we could probably, maybe we need to talk more about making, doing a deal with you or having you build us the asset. And then we could use that as a, uh, as a independent living facility. I'm thinking as an economies of scale thing going in on the front end, Mike, you know, for us, we need to have generators because of the state law, because of the, you know, the, uh, the licensing on our end, but then we build it that way. So it becomes like a custom thing. We put the generators in, you put the sprinkler systems in on the build. Everything starts to make more sense when you look at that business model. So I like that. Well, yeah, that's something for our build on your own lot. Or if you're coming to us and saying, Hey, this is the way we want it done before construction. We do that for our people. You know, and I know with we've worked with some, uh, you know, assisted elder care living. And obviously, if we're cash flowing on a straight long-term rental off the bat, 
then you know for the your model <laughs> it's it's a no-brainer that it would cash flow right right thoughts on that mike yeah that's that's pretty interesting i'm curious Jim, so do you have like an in-house contractor we're self-built we went self-built about five six years ago which was the best thing we ever did had we not done that you know instead of going you know, we really took off in a good way through the pandemic. We could have gone bankrupt the way I look at it, because what happened? You know, supply chain dried up. There wasn't subs or materials. The fact we had done that, you know, two years before the pandemic had even started or a little longer was huge. So now, you know, we, we, we have a lot more control over our business and uh, there's more responsibilities, of course, but also you can control the levers, you control the gas, the brake a lot more than if you're you know, subbing out to, uh, you know, not being your own builder. Wow. Interesting. Right. Yeah. That definitely helps the, uh, the bottom line then if you build on your own. Wow. Yeah. Well, you yeah. run leaner, you trim the fat. And like you said, I love the fact mm. that you're driving the bus. You're not going to get blindsided by a, a bunch of subs, you know, in your business model, which is important. So I, I like that. Uh, let me see here. I had a question and it just lost me. I guess I'm getting old. It escaped me. We talked about, let's see. Oh yeah. Lo loan to value. So with your type of product, you're talking about sub 5% interest rates. It's mind blowing to me. And that was like, I bet a couple of people driving their car probably pulled over. <laughs> what was that? What type of loan to value are, are you looking for, for these people? Is it like a 60% loan to value 70? No, the only, so, so for, for our international people, yeah, they're going to put 40% down. Okay. Uh, you know, but for our, our U S buyers, you're looking 20% down on a single family. 25% down in a duplex or quad. Okay. Um, wow. An important thing on that too is, and I know you guys have dealt with it, you, you, you're buying a finished product from us. You're not, you're not getting the construction loan and going through all those headaches and costs. And you know those can be pretty tedious for anyone listening that's done those. You're just coming up with one permanent loan that a lot of people come through us because of our financing uh, at the end. Um, and, uh, and we're on a, what's called a continual build cycle. So that means a lot of builders out there have their hands tied right now to appease their banks. They have to have a pre-construction sales contract on that to be able to build. Well, since you know, we're privately owned now with a, a large Japanese company, they fund all of our build projects 100%. We don't have any banks slowing us down. And they don't require a pre-construction sales contract, which means that's great for our clients. You know, some people out there, they, they want to get a house in Florida. And you guys know this from being here. Sure. And they put it under contract. What's well, going to take twelve to fourteen to sixteen months to build? Right. Us being on a continual build cycle and us always completing properties, and then we put them out as they're just about completed. You can close on a new construction duplex, quad, single family within sixty days with us. Um, so wow. our build time is a lot better, and that's that's attractive to people. You know, we're like, I want to get my money working. This is what I want to do. I know what things are doing now. I know I can get this interest rate at this right now. I don't know what's going to be doing in a year. Um, so the continual build cycle has really helped elevate our business as well. That's good to know. Wow. Well, that's exciting. So guys, we'll put the social media or the uh, website and the contact information for him in the show notes here. So it's important that you, you know, here, here's an opportunity where number one, we sit, we're sitting on the sidelines because the cost of funds is too high. Well, this podcast episode solved that problem. Two is trying to find the team, put things together, where to buy, what to do, what, what should I, you know, does it make sense? Here's the deal. They're not going to participate in the funding of these projects if they're not going to cash flow on day one, because the risk for for Jim's company is massive if things don't go well on his end. So site selection, getting that right, working with the, the right people to get the thing built, selecting the right tenants, managing all that, 
All of that falls on the shoulder of Jim's company. I love that. So for us as the, as the buyer coming in, that reduces our risk model dramatically. Uh, closing thoughts on that, Mike? I'm just talking for some of our listeners. I'm sure they're, they're curious. So how does the rent split work? The rent split? Uh, yeah. For, for example, like uh, oh. if I were to invest, or, or I have a so lot you, of land. Yeah. If, if, if you bought a, a duplex or a quad or any of our properties, you are the owner. You know, it's, it is your call on what to do. You don't have to use our management, but 90 something percent of people do because normally with our incentive programs too, not only do we offer in-house financing, but we offer one to two years of free property management, which oh, nice. is nice to the bottom line. And then we take an 8%, uh, it, you know, it's the standard 8% collected rents, you know, for our management fee, there's an initial fill up fee and then a small, um, extension fee if the tenant's going to stay there. Uh, but you know, standard property management agreement, but we have no equity, uh, sharing your property, no profit participation. You are buying the property outright from us. We just manage it. So you have sole discretion and control. We're just there to serve you. Oh, I see. Wow. So you're a builder and property manager in one. Wow. Yeah. See, a lot of, a lot of companies, and that's where we're very different. You know, we, we used to do funds, and, and I believe in funds. I invest in funds. But sometimes, you know, I think the, part of the stool, that, that three-legged stool of wealth is not only, you know, funds and syndications, but also direct property ownership. So we're one of the few build-to-rent companies that allows you to directly own the properties yourself. Others will say, hey, kick in money and you can have a profit share of the overall portfolio, which is great. But again, some people want to have that control and that, that full ownership of, of individual properties. And that's where we step in to fill that. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that, that, that is different from the other build-to-rent uh, companies I've heard of. That's, that's really inspiring, I think, for our investors to have... Because a lot of our investors or come as do-it-yourselfers. You know, they want that end control in the end. So yep. come in, it's almost a one-stop shop for you guys. That's, wow, I'm very curious. Wish you build out here in Colorado. All right. Well, I can tell you, for I'm a guy that's invested my own capital in other people's apartment syndications, and I'm in that situation right now. They're making decisions. I'm an LP. They're making, they have made decisions over the last 24 months that I don't necessarily agree with. Those decisions are not really benefiting me or the other investor, the other LPs at all. Uh, and it's a problem. So I like this business model because it puts me in a better control situation. Um, you know, it, the bottom line becomes sweeter, you know, and whatever it costs to get the bill done and whatnot cost of doing business. But in the end, I can make changes. For example, at 4.75 doesn't work in 18 months or 12 months or 10 years. Great. I have the ability to refi out of that change that debt position. If I don't like a 10-year AM, I can make it a 30-year AM. Heck, I can make it a 40-year AM. I have options. I can leverage equity. Can't do that when you're when you're invested in a syndication. So that's all great stuff. Yeah, great yeah, stuff. I mean, syndications, the way we look at it too, like we did a case study. If you invested $250,000 in the S&P 500 five years ago, you would have made about 10.4%, which is a really good return. Mm -hmm. If you invested in like an average real estate fund, um, over the last five years, 250,000, you would have made, it was about 13.5%, which is great. And that's the one thing you have to look at with syndications and funds, you're silent. You, you yes. don't have to be involved. When you own property, you're going to have some involvement and some hands-on work to do. You know, you can manage your property manager and pick the right properties, but you'll have some involvement. Funds, you don't. So, you, you know, you're stepping in with doing nothing and getting 13.5%, which can be great. Now, when we looked at if someone had bought based on our average down payments, 20, 25% down, 
and put $250,000 forward into build to rent properties in our main market here in Jacksonville, Florida, their annual return would have been 68% each year because of the equity and rental growth. They got in right and we saw the growth. So I always say, yeah, I invest invest in funds and syndication because I don't want to make the decisions. I don't want to be in that. I want that double digit without it. But again, if you plant your seeds in the right direct property ownership, that's where I've made the most money in my life. There you go. Me too. That's for sure. Jim, I really appreciate you taking the time. I know you're a busy guy. You got a lot going on, but I got a lot of value out of this podcast. I'm sure some of our listeners are going to be blowing up your phones here. Guys, as I said a minute ago, we will put all your contact information down in the show notes. Make sure that you reach out. You have questions. Get the data out there. Take a look at what they have to offer and consider making a change. 2024 is here. It's too late. You can't say I'll do it next year because next year is already here. Now is the time to take massive action and change the game. Jim, thanks so much for... uh, coming on board today and uh guys we'll catch up with you next week this concludes today's episode you don't have to wait till the next episode to learn to earn head over to cashflowguys.com and contact tyler and his team for more powerful tips and ideas so you can start generating multiple streams of income and escape the rat race